0: You could be opening your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 25. Um, today we're calling this a new generation, uh, because uh, Abraham ha- is going to uh, pass from the scene and his son Isaac is going to take over. But uh, and we're in the middle of a huge, uh, what we call an allegory, it's actual events, but they're God gave them and, and engineered those events to show us a picture of where you and I are living today and what God is, is doing in us today. And in fact, I'm going to skim over a lot of Scripture uh, in order to make uh, a little bit longer application of those Scriptures. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the very meat of, of everything. But uh, if you're in Genesis 25, we're going to start down uh, in verse 19. Of Genesis 25. And I'm going to read uh, here to the end of the chapter. Um, So if you will stand back up. (laughs) Uh, Sorry about that. Uh, Please go ahead and stand back up. And uh, we're going to read, begin in verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah the daughter of Bethuel the Arminian of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban the Arminian, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah's wife conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau, which means red. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, which means heel grabber. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just the joys of this day already. We pray now, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful things in your word. That, uh, Lord, as the Holy Spirit moves amongst us, uh, for the Christian, that we, he would illuminate this truth to us. Uh, Lord, for those who don't know you, that he would convict them of Sin and righteousness and judgment to come, and same for the church, Lord. We just pray your Holy Spirit would have his work in all of our lives, and we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. Uh, if you've not been with us, we, we, we are going through the book of Genesis. It, it's, the word Genesis means, of course, beginnings, and, uh, and, and it just kind of occurred to me that, that everything we needed to know for the Christian life has its foundation in the book of Genesis, as I had that thought and started looking at it more closely I found out of course I wasn't the first one to realize that and, uh, and that there, there's a lot of information out there of um, how Genesis moves us into where we live today. This story is in the middle of a big picture God is painting uh, with the very first man of faith, uh, the father of faith uh, called Abraham. There were men with faith before but Abraham's called the father of, of faith and and so we are in the middle of this story. We've come to a time where Abraham is dying or dies and his son Isaac takes over. And so uh, here's what I want you to take home with you today. If you'll put that up there, it is that do not trade the eternal for the immediate or the temporary as another good word. Don't trade the eternal for the immediate. That That's something that We see Esau do. We're going to come to that in just a minute. Let me catch everybody up to where we are. If you've heard it before, it's still a good refresher. If you're not... Uh, I'm going to go kind of fast, but kind of hold on uh, to, to help us. In the midst of this story, where we are, Abraham is dying, and the mantle is passed. But I want to remind you that that this whole story of Abraham and Sarah, his wife, and Isaac, their son, and then his new wife, and what happens today, is all part of a, of a true event, but also paint a picture of God and how he saves us how he brings us into his kingdom and so I want to show you the symbolism of all the characters in this first character is the big one Abraham he is the father in the story but he represents our father God he is the father of faith and he represents God Sarah will represent Israel the nation of Israel and then Isaac is their son, and he represents the son of the father, or Jesus. And Jesus was born to Israel, right? Uh, Through Israel, uh, Jesus comes into the picture and then we see these symbols progress through the story Um, Isaac was sacrificed on a mountain way back uh, in a previous chapter, he is sacrificed on a mountain, it's the same mountain on which Jesus died, now Isaac did not get sacrificed but the Bible tells in the New Testament that Abraham considered him already dead before they went up there, that he had decide if that's what God wants is what I'm going to do. But the New Testament also reveals the heart of Abraham that he believed that God would raise him from the dead even if he had to go through with the sacrifice. He knew that God probably didn't want him to sacrifice him, but he's not going to take any chance, going to do what God said. Of course, God stopped him. And in the midst of that, Abraham had said, when Isaac asked, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? He said, son, God will provide for himself the lamb. And it was a singular reference well when he didn't sacrifice isaac they look around and there is a ram caught in the in the bushes a ram is not a lamb of sacrificial lamb but they sacrificed the ram what was Abraham's meaning when he said that we come to the new testament and after hundreds of years of silence god didn't speak between the old testament and the new testament To his prophets, a prophet appears named John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist, when Jesus comes on the scene, he points out Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So that reference that Abraham made to the Lamb comes all the way down to Jesus Christ. Um, Sarah emphasizing or representing Israel, she dies and Israel died in 70 AD after Jesus was sacrificed on the cross so Isaac is sacrificed on the mountain after that Sarah dies uh, and then the same thing happens in history Um, and then in chapter 24 we see Abraham the father sending his servant who is never named and he represents the Holy Spirit that servant does we don't know the Holy Spirit's name we know his title the Holy Spirit or the Spirit I mean the Holy Spirit It's, it's a repetitious thing in the greek language the spirit the holy spirit to emphasize who he is but we don't know his name we know the name of the son jesus we know the name of the father yahweh but we don't know this name of the holy spirit he represents the holy spirit because abraham sends him back to get a bride for his son the the job of the holy spirit is to get a bride for christ and that is the church the church is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you criticize the bride, you criticize, the church, you criticize the bride of Christ. Now, I don't know about the rest of you men, but if you want to criticize my wife, you're going to get on the fighting side of me, according uh, to, you know, a great country song. All right? You criticize the church, you get on the fighting side of Jesus. That's his bride. I just want you to understand that. I'm not saying church doesn't need some correction. The Bible says that he's going to wash an iron. It says he's going to be, we're going to be presented without spot or wrinkle. Well, we got a lot of spots and wrinkles right now, right? But that's the job of the Holy Spirit. That's not my job, okay? My job is to help in that, but not my job to identify. The Holy Spirit identifies those things. So, he's sent to get a bride for Isaac. He brings back Rebecca. Uh, the way that developed, it just shows the miracle. And that bride, Rebecca, is representing the church. Now, we I brought you in on all of that. At the beginning of chapter 25, it says that Abraham lives to be 175. He married some other women, had more kids. He sends all of them away. And he died, it says in verse 8, a good old age, an old man full of years. And he's gathered to his people. But then look at uh, verse 9 of Genesis 25. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, Ishmael comes back to help bury uh, Abraham And they bury him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, uh, uh, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife, with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled in in Bir Lahai Roy. Now, I want you to understand God promised Abraham all of Canaan, all of that land. The only piece of land Abraham ever owned was his burial plot. It plot for his wife and him. It's the only part of it he ever owned. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 that Abraham saw that country far off. But Abraham was content to dwell in tents because he was looking for the city. Not a city, he was looking for the city whose builder and maker is not built with hands, whose builder and maker is God. And so we see this in the actual facts that Abraham is buried in the only piece of land he owned in Canaan. Uh, but there's a promise coming. And so then... In the scripture, it just tells us the generations there uh, of Ishmael and uh, all of that because those become the Arab peoples. And so now we see the birth of Esau and Jacob. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. And so we get into this story. So Isaac has married Rebekah. He was 40 when they got married. He's 60 when Jacob and Esau are born. So it's been 20 years. So much like Sarah, Rebecca has had trouble conceiving and having a baby. And so I love it that Isaac goes and prays to God for this child. And he didn't do like his dad and try two or three different things before he just trusted God. He goes ahead and trusts God. He prays to his wife and she is found to be pregnant with a baby. But that baby seems a little overactive to her. She's, she's saying, there's something going on here. Now, I, I don't know. I, I've never been pregnant. Don't ever plan to get pregnant. Uh, it's the thing of biology. If you're confused, only women can do that. And thank God, and my, from my point of view, that it's you. It's not me. Uh, I don't know how y'all do it. Thank God you can and do. But... I'm thinking this is her first pregnancy, and I know every woman on her first pregnancy like, is this normal, is this normal? They're scared about everything because they don't know, you know. Got to go through some, and I know every pregnancy is different as well. But she knows something's up, and I so appreciate that she prays to God and says, what's going on? She asks, what is happening? She is representing the church, right? So when something's going on, what should the church do? Well, we ought to ask God, what's going on? And the Lord uh, says, and uh, these children are struggling within her. She said, why is this happening to me? So she asked the Lord. And the Lord said, you got two people in there. You got two nations in your womb, and they are fighting each other in the womb. Now, we have three children, and, and I've seen other ladies that had babies. And, and what I know is that the baby's pretty active anyway, right? I mean, they're kicking ribs and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes, you know, the woman goes, ooh, what's the matter? Oh, baby just caught me right there, you know? So so that's why I'm wondering, like, did Rebecca and I have anybody tell her, yeah, this is normal? Or was it that violent? Well, it must have been that violent. Because God says, no, it is. There's two nations in your womb. And there are two people within you. And they're going to be divided. They're not going to be good brothers. One will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger Now, why is that important? Well, it's going to be revealed later in the story, but I'm going to go ahead and and let you know now. These twins are representative of something as well. Remember, this is a true story that shows us a a greater truth. And that is Esau represents our flesh. And by that, I don't mean this this physical body. I mean that part of us that is a fallen, uh, we're fallen creatures. We have appetites and desires within ourselves that get out of control into sin. Uh, they're, they're good desires, they're good appetites, but we always pervert them because of, uh, of sin in our life and we, and we chase those, uh, those things. Jacob represents the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit living in us or God's desire for our life. So Rebecca prays and she gets her answer And then the day of birth comes. And so the first baby comes out. He's the oldest. That's Esau. Can you imagine have a baby so hairy? You name him Harry? Not Harry. Harry. Okay? I'm not mispronouncing the word. The boy was covered in hair. I'm thinking she goes, ah, what's that? You know, I mean, what have I given birth to? It's this hairy kid. So they name him Harry. And then Jacob comes out holding on to his heel. Like, nah, I want to be first, but he's not. And his name means heel grabber, but he becomes known as the deceiver until God gets hold of his life. And so these, these babies are born. And their personalities the Bible describes. Esau's a hunter. He's a man's man. He's out there. So dad likes him. Jacob is a quieter guy. He likes to stay in the tent. And his mom teaches him to cook. He's, he's a mama's boy, okay? Uh, not necessarily a bad thing because that was God's choice. And he was a mama's boy. So um, don't stay a mama's boy forever, but that's what he was. So now we want to get down to where we're going to apply all this. This crux of the story. Because you heard me read it. Here's what happens. Esau is out hunting like he always did. And he forgot to take his cliff bars and his canteen of water. And he comes back and he's dying of hunger and thirst. You never had a cliff bar. You missed a great joy in life. Okay. Um, and, 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 And he gets there and Jacob is cooking supper. He's doing what Jacob does. He's making a meal. And Esau comes in exhausted. He says, hey, give me some of that stew. And Jacob said, I'll give it to you for a price. Sell me your birthright. Now, you heard me read it. Let me explain what a birthright is. A birthright is, the, is what the firstborn son gets, period. We see it in the story of the prodigal son in the New Testament. Remember, the younger son comes and says, give me what's mine. Well, the oldest gets twice what the younger one gets. He gets a double portion because he inherits the responsibility of the family. Now, I want you to understand this about the Bible and the way God works. God never asks you to do anything, i.e. He never gives you a responsibility that He doesn't give you a provision to meet that responsibility. If you feel like or, or you think you don't have what it takes to do what God asked you to do, you have not opened up the provision that He's given you. You've not accessed what He provided for you to do, the responsibility. That mainly is the person of the Holy Spirit, the power of God that lives in us who is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit lives in the church. And he lives in, the, in the, the believer. And so the the birthright is you are the guy that carries on the, the line and, and you're the most important kid. Esau is going to sell that for a bowl of soup. That's, that's in this culture, that's a tragedy. You would never sell your birthright. You would never give that up because you're inherited. You are the guy. You're the, the most important one. The little brother, eh, you're okay, but you're not him, you know. But God predicts and tells Rebecca that the older will serve the younger. How does that apply to us? Well, here, let me ask you this. What came first, the law or the cross? The law. The older will serve the younger. Jesus came to fulfill the law and he fulfilled it perfectly as a man. Because we'll see in Romans in just a minute that the law makes us aware of sin in our life. And so Jesus had to pay for that sin for us to, to have salvation. And so when, I, when you think about this, God wants to give you a birthright of being born again. You're born to him, and the Bible says we're joint heirs with Christ. We we receive this, this idea of this great portion from God. We are not a secondary heir, we're a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are people that'll sell their birthright. The reason you got a double portion is you're supposed to take care of that family both physically and spiritually. And I want to read to you a verse about what Esau did. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 16. And here's what it says. Uh, Verse 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one who is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, even though he sought it with tears. He could not repent. God would not give him an out. And he had lost his birthright for a bowl of soup. Sometimes we will, in essence, want to sell our birthright. You see, the flesh is a diva. It will demand what it wants. Would Esau goes I'm gonna die give me soup it's kind of interesting what Jacob does he says swear to me you'll sell me the birthright for this bowl of soup he goes what good is my birthright I'm about to die he said swear to it he puts there there's a saying in legal terms if it ain't written it ain't real all right now you may not use the word ain't but they may If you make a contract to buy or sell a house or to go into business, do whatever it is that you need a contract for, if you don't get it in writing, you don't get it. Listen, somebody said, oh, I promise. (laughs) Yeah, right. You don't know the future. I don't know the future. I won't make a promise because I don't know. I'll tell you as much as I can, I will. But I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? But if you put in a contract, you better obey it because it's in the contract. So that's what Jacob does. He made it a legal thing, put it in the contract. You're going to sell it for this bowl of soup. Yes, he does it, and Esau could never get it back. Well, the flesh will always whine for what it wants. I'm starving. Esau was not going to die if he didn't eat a bowl of soup. I mean, he's a strong individual. He's probably hungry as all get out. He's not going to die. You're not going to die if you don't get married. You're not going to die if you don't do the thing that the devil is trying to get you to do that you know you shouldn't do. That's not going to happen. You'll live through it. But we give in to our flesh. I want to ask a question and I want to help you understand something. And I don't want anybody to answer out loud. Um, It's a simple question. It's three words. What is sin? I mean, people are confused about what sin is. Now, I think if I did ask you to answer or write it down, you would all probably give me the same answer. Why? Because that's what we do, all right? This is just how we kind of basically understand sin. Let me tell you what that first thing is, because I'm going to tell you where I'm going. Sin is three different things. It has three components to it. But the first one that we all would say is, sin is doing anything contrary to the will of God In word, thought, or deed, either by omission or commission. Now, omission and commission are the biggest words I used in that sentence. So, let me explain those two. Omission means you don't do what you should have done. Commission means you did something you shouldn't have done. Okay? So, all of us understand that part of sin. We all understand it's doing or not doing something that is contrary to the law and the will of God. All right? In word, what I say, what I think, or what I do. But sin is more than that. Sin is also a legal guilt. In Romans 3, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are legally guilty before God. In Romans 3, the Bible tells us that. And so, what does that mean? That means the reason you feel guilty is because you are guilty. You ought to feel guilty. I have a classic illustration of this out of my own life, but I don't to to tell you the whole story. But let me just say, I got pulled by a very godly and diligent policeman for driving recklessly. It was over 80 miles an hour. And in Virginia, in case you don't know this, if you're ignorant of this, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what the speed limit on the road is. If you break 80, you are recklessly driving and will lose your license for a year. I was guilty as homemade sin. I mean, I just was guilty. So I go to court, long story short, the judge let me go. I had to pay a fine for a mile an hour over the speed limit I was going, but he let me go. It is nowhere on my record that I was driving recklessly. Now, if you're a policeman, you can't arrest me for that, because the judge said I was not guilty of reckless driving. Was I guilty of reckless driving? Oh, you bet your sweet bippy I was but not according to the law. And we were sold under law, and we're guilty of breaking the law. And Romans 7 tells us that's the nature of the law. Paul says in Romans 7, you can turn there if you want to, in verses 4 through 6, he's letting us know that we are a slave to the law. In other words, all we can do is sin. We cannot keep the law. We are incapable. The only person who ever kept the law was Jesus. Say, well, he was the son of God. Yeah, but he didn't do it as God. He did it as a man. He put aside his exercise of deity. He never acted as God. He only acted as a man when he was living here on earth in his body. And, and, and being just a man or merely a man, he was also God, but he didn't exercise his deity. He worked by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he lived a perfect life. That qualified him to be a substitute to pay for our sin, our reckless driving. He was able to pay for it because he had never done it, any sin. But the law, the way it works in verses 7 through 12 in Romans 7. You ought to read this chapter. It's in the middle of three chapters. Romans 6 tells us how we come to know Christ. Romans 8 tells us how we live in victory there. But Romans 7 describes the struggle that we have as Christians when there is sin that clings to us. Because the third thing sin is, is an indwelling weakness. Paul describes it here in chapter 7 of Romans. And so in verses 7 to 12 he tells us we didn't know we were sinning until the law says don't do that. And we did it. We knew we were sinners. Or it said do this and we didn't do it. We knew we were sinners. And so now we have an awareness of sin. And Paul says so even when I want to do right I can't do it. And he says what is going on in my life. And look down in verse 17 of chapter 7. And that's in the middle of a of a thing that is telling us, uh, the the part that tells us that sin is something that dwells in us. It says in verse 14, For we know the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. We still in this body have an echo to sin. Our old nature has died. Colossians says, you have died. What I was in Adam, my fallen nature, has been put to death. And God gives me his, a new nature in Christ, but it's still in the same place the same suit and there's an echo of sin in me that tends to make us pull but here's the deal before I know Christ I am a slave to sin I can only do what sin tells me to do but Romans 6 says this but Christ comes and he breaks the power of sin in our life because freedom is not doing what you want to do freedom is the power to do what you ought to do you see the provision God gives us to live a life of in the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He gives us the power of God in our life to overcome sin. And at the end of Romans 7 and 21 to 25, Paul says this, I serve this law of sin. I give in to these fleshly desires all the time. Romans, I mean, uh, Galatians, and that's, a, you can turn over there if you'd like. Galatians chapter 5 tells us this, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And there's the answer. I told you, the provision God gives us to live the God, the God life is the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And when we come to Christ and we surrender our life to Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, the chapter after 7, tells us if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't know him. You're not saved. That those who are saved have the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us to bring us to life so that we can live the life of Christ, the resurrected life in Christ. Are we sinless? No. See, I I would ask you this, well, When Jesus died, what part of sin did he die for? And I I, I get what we would say. We'd say, well, all of it, yeah. But do you still sin? Yeah, well, I thought he died so that when I break the law of God in word, thought, or deed by omission or commission, do I still do that? Yes, I do. There are times when I will break the law of God. Well, I thought Jesus died for that, so why am I still doing it? Because I still live here. And so he's made provision that if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just forgive me my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John chapter 1. Well, did he die so that I would no longer have an indwelling weakness? Well, yes, but it hasn't happened yet. You see, there's coming a day, I was saved, I am saved, that I will be saved. He's going to resurrect my body. He knows my DNA code. He can change it. He's going to make it a new body like his, where the disciples were sitting in a locked room and suddenly there he is he traveled at the speed of thought and nothing physical could stop him from going through it when he came out of the tomb he didn't walk out he went through the rock he just disappeared he's just gone we'll get a body like that in the resurrection I'm kind of looking forward to it but Paul said this about his own body he said and my body is seeing, it's getting more and more corrupt every day it's dying slowly and the older you get if you're young you don't know this shit. trust us old guys man it starts going away. It's falling apart, but he said, "But my inner man is renewed every day." and he gets stronger and stronger. The spirit of God in us helps that new nature in us to grow. And, and Galatians five says, "If we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the, the law of, uh, uh, we, we won't fulfill the, the, the flesh." And then he gives us a list of sin that we are prone to go to. He says, uh, "The work of the flesh are evident." Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. These are sins of sexual nature. Idolatry and sorcery, that's not following Christ, going to some cult or weird religious practice. Orgies, uh, sorry, uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, division, envy. That's just a bad attitude, okay? That's just, you stink in the way your personality is coming out. Drunkenness and orgies, that's just indulging in fleshly appetite. Well, I'm hungry, so let me eat the whole cake, you know. And he says, listen to this, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wait, wait. What does that mean? It means that if we are habitually breaking the law of God with no conscience, not worried about it, not trying to do any better, not repenting and, and, and asking the Spirit to help us to overcome it, you don't have assurance of that you're going to heaven. It says you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Esau didn't overcome it. He gave into it. He lost it. Say, so are you saying you can lose your salvation? No, I'm saying that if you're saved, God won't let you dwell in sin. He will call you out of it. He will bring correction in your life. He will discipline you to bring you out of that place. And he will redeem you and he'll make you his own. Colossians chapter 3 says that I have died and my life is hidden with God. But then in verse 5 it says, so put to death the members that are still on the earth. The things that tend us towards sin. He said, just put that to death. Just turn away from it. Don't give it any air, don't give it any food, don't give it anything that will keep it alive, get rid of that and live only to God it says since we have been Uh, We find ourselves in Christ and been risen with Christ we seek the things above not the things on earth that's where we set our mind we set our mind on pleasing God see salvation isn't that I pray a prayer and then I get my fire insurance and then I do whatever I want and when I die I go to heaven salvation is that I recognize that Jesus Christ that man who lived 2000 years ago is the very son of God that he lived a very perfect life so that he could be qualified to die for my sin for your sin and that is what he did on a cross to pay a debt that I could not pay. I could not stand to have had to pay for breaking the law by being a reckless driver. I could not have lived with that. It had been horrible. But the judge let me go. Not because somebody else paid for it. He just let me go. But in Christ, Christ paid for it. He went to death for us. He was our substitute. He stood between us and the judge. And he took the wrath of God on himself. That I could only experience the mercy, grace, and forgiveness of God. Now that is the most unfair thing ever to happen to God. But he did it willingly for you and for me. It is not fair that I'm saved. It's not fair to God. In Galatians 5, after it lists all these sins and that warning... It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. See, we will sell our birthright for convenience. We'll sell our birthright for an image on a screen. We'll sell our birthright for pleasure, for money, for ambition, for addiction, for anything else It's just a bowl of soup. You won't die if you don't get it. But when you sell your birthright, you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose your wife, you're going to lose your kids, you're going to lose your reputation, your ministry, your calling, you're going to lose everything. Not only in this life, but life to come. Well, how can we apply that today? Well, first of all, I would say be thankful for your heritage. Isaac had a great heritage. Be thankful to your parents and grandparents. He said, my parents and grandparents aren't that great. Well, you got here somehow. (laughs) Somebody did something good for you to get you in here today. I don't know what it was, but maybe you're just now coming to this. That's great, man. We want to help you. We want to love on you and help you. But if somebody meant something in your life to the positive, you ought to be grateful for them. Thank God for them and then let them know that you're thankful. But secondly, I would say, realize that your birthright from God is to get a double portion. He is supplying the, himself, the very Holy Spirit will live within you so that you can complete the responsibility with his provision. And so realize that and realize that when I use that word, I don't mean just, oh yeah, that's true. I mean, act on that. Ask him to fill you. Ask him to help you to live the life that he calls us to live. And thirdly, just ask yourself this question. What's worth selling my birthright? For what what am I willing to sell my birthright for? What would I take and give up that birthright? Esau's birthright wasn't worth selling for a bowl of soup. But God said he would do it and he did it. God wants you to be saved. He wants you to know him. We live in a time now where that bride can know Christ and can have his provision to help us to do what he wants us to do. And if you've not opened your heart to let Jesus take over, today's the day to do that. And I pray you'll do that. I want to pray right now for you. Lord Jesus, we see that indeed in our flesh dwells no good thing. And we know it's not that the body is evil, but the body has been broken by sin and fallen. And it cries out for, to be satisfied. Our appetites cry out to be satisfied. Not, not just enough, we want more than enough. Lord, you are the more than enough. If we know you, we don't need food. Jesus, you said here on earth when the disciples forgot bread, you said, I got bread you don't know about. And they thought you meant you were fussing at them because they didn't bring bread, but you were talking about that fellowship with God was worth more than bread. That knowledge of of the Father in your life was worth more than water and and sleep and rest and provisions and riches and reputation. You lived your life for the will of God and you went to death on a cross to absorb the wrath of God for us that we could go free. So Lord, Lord, I just pray that today the people that don't know you wouldn't play games with you, wouldn't, wouldn't be dedicated to a religion, but would humbly bow in your presence and say, Lord, I, I need you. Because we can't do this by ourselves. There's, in our flesh dwells no good thing. It is the power of God that saves us, that redeems us, that makes us new. And we, we recognize that, Lord. And so, Lord, we ask you to do that. Move in our hearts. Show us your will. As a people of God, as a church, as a, as a Christian, show us your will. Lord, if there's someone lost, Lord, show them your will. Bring them to know you. Bring them into that love relationship with you where you've taken the law in and yourself and, and now we can walk in the Spirit. We can live by the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we just love you and thank you for that. Lord, we know that the moral law doesn't change. We, we shouldn't kill or covet and all those things. But Lord, we don't have to keep all those little details of the law. We just thank you that you absorbed all that for us. And that we can be forgiven by your blood. In Jesus' name, amen.